Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Jesus often spoke to the crowds in parables. These stories of everyday people and everyday places point us towards a spiritual story, a heavenly reality, if only we would look to see. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. pray today? Oh, you ready to pray today? You know, I, I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I, I, I want us to actually pray together as a congregation uh, a little bit later this morning. I, I actually believe that there is a God in heaven who hears every prayer that we pray. I actually believe that when we pray, you know, God moves power from heaven to earth. Does anyone else here believe that this morning? I want you to remember a number this morning. The number is 17,063. Say it with me. 17,063. One more time. 17,063. Okay, remember that for later. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who's not only all-powerful, sovereign, and mighty, but you're kind. You're a generous father. You're a God who loves to good give, give good gifts to your kids. And so this morning, I just know that as we pray, you listen, you hear. And God, as we speak to you, I, I just know you want to speak to us. And so would you give us ears to hear your voice this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I love this parable in Luke chapter 18 because uh, Luke tells us what it's all about before he actually tells us the parable. Sometimes I read Jesus' parables, and as I said a few weeks ago, he's a brilliant storyteller, but uh, sometimes there's a cultural gap. And so, you know, he tells a, uh, a story about 10 virgins waiting with, some of them have got lamps full of oil and some have got lamps that don't have oil waiting for a bridegroom to come. And I go, oh, what's all that about? And then there's a story about sheep and goats, and I've never 
never been a shepherd. And I'm thinking, what's all that about? But uh, that's why I love Luke chapter 18, because I went to Bible college to learn what it was all about. I was supposed to do a three-year degree. It took me nine years, but I was a slow learner. And I got to the end, and I still didn't know what some of them were all about. And so Luke chapter 18 is a great parable. I love this parable, because in verse 1, Luke records what the parable is all about before he tells the parable. Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Jesus told them this parable so that they would always pray and... Let's say it again. Jesus, Jesus told them this parable so that they should always pray and... Not give up. That's why he told the parable. That they should always pray and not give up. This is the parable. Luke uh, chapter 18, let's go to verse 2. It says, he's in a certain town... There was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. She's a scary widow. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So remember parables, Jesus is pointing to an everyday person or an everyday place to uncover an unseen spiritual reality. And so this was an everyday person. This was a judge or a, a leader that had been put in place over a community to bring about justice for that community. Everyone who was listening to this for the first time would have understood this kind of you know, person as a, as a leader in this community. This kind of leader was someone who didn't care. He wasn't a good leader. He didn't care about the people that he was leading and he didn't fear God. He didn't care what God thought of him. He didn't care what people thought of him. And so when this woman comes to him who is being mistreated and oppressed and wants justice, which is what he's supposed to do, he doesn't care. He says, lifelines are free, call. You know, go and talk to someone who cares because, frankly, I don't care. But the woman in this story wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, she, was, she was dependent on what this judge could do for her. She had, she had no other power and resources in and of herself. And so when he said, I don't care, she didn't give up. She kept bothering him or she kept nagging him. She kept nagging and nagging and nagging. She was like a dripping tap. I want you just to use your imaginations. You're really going to have to just switch your imaginations on this morning. I want you to imagine you're sitting on the lounge watching the footy and a woman walks into the room and wants your help with something. But you don't care about what she wants you to do. And so you ignore her. But use your imagination. She keeps nagging you. She keeps nagging and nagging and nagging. 
Can, can anyone just picture this in their mind? Just, just put your hand up. Some hands went up real quick then. She's like a dripping tap. Even though you don't want to get up off the lounge and help her with what she's asking you, you to do, uh, eventually you, you kind of you know, get yourself up off the lounge and you do what she wants you to do because she won't stop nagging you. Now just leave your lounge room for a minute and come back to Jesus' story. In, in this story, it says this woman... She, she kept bothering him. But if you actually do a, a literal translation of those Greek words, it literally means she blackened his eyes. She nagged him and nagged him until it felt like he'd been beaten up. I, I mean, this is world champion nagging. I mean, if, if nagging was an Olympic sport, she would win gold. Now, some of you might be sitting next to the person who'd take out the silver, but this woman, <laughs> this woman would win gold. Now, now, this parable is different to most parables. It's one of the few parables that's actually a parable of comparison. You see, what, what, what Jesus is saying in this parable, he's saying, if you know anything about my Father in heaven, he's actually nothing like the leader in this parable. You see, he's talking to people who've read the Old Testament. They knew the voice of the prophets, that God would send people when people were being mistreated and oppressed to bring justice. They knew the heart of God was, was for the poor. They, they knew that the heart of God was to, to bring about justice. You know, the bloke in this story doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about people. And Jesus is saying, our Father in heaven is nothing like... The bloke in this story, he loves to bring justice to the oppressed. He loves to comfort those that are being mistreated. He loves to bring salvation to those that are lost. In fact, in, in, in Peter, it says that God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of us understand slowness, but he's actually patient. Can you say patient with me? It's not a word we like very much. In fact, when it's translated in the old translations, in the fruits of the Spirit, it's long-suffering. We don't like patience. We don't like long-suffering. But God is patient. God is long-suffering. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants all people to come to repentance. He wants all people to be saved. That is the heart of our God. And so if this uncaring leader in this community will eventually give this woman what she asked for, how much more will your Father in heaven bring justice to those who cry out to him day and night? But when I come again, will I find faith on the earth? Will you still be praying and not giving up? Will you still be praying in faith, praying until you see it happen? See, the problem is we, we live in this instantaneous fast food culture. See, if you're driving out of here the, uh, today, you've walked past the coffee shop because the line's too long to get food. And when you want food, you want it now. And so you drive out and you're driving down the road and those golden arches, they just call you in. 
and you, you, you drive in and you see you know, a, a board with big, juicy, healthy-looking food on it. And you point at the one called a Big Mac and you'll say, you know, I'll have one of those, please. And you drive 25 metres to the next window and by the time you get there, your food is waiting for you. And you, 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 un, you unpack it and it looks absolutely nothing like the burger that was up on the board. It's kind of someone's taken a syringe and just sucked the life out of it. And it's all scungy and tiny. And it looks like some 14-year-old kid has just spat on it while they're squashing it together and stuffing it into your bag. But you don't care. You stuff it down your gob in world record time. Not because it tastes good, it's disgusting. Disgusting, it's not even food. But you stuff it down in world record time because you wanted food and you want it fast. You want it now. You see, when we want food, we want it now. When we want information, we want it now. You see, we want what we ask for now, not later. I was reminded about this during the week. I was talking to, uh, to John and Jan uh, at our staff retreat, actually just the, the week before, and, and John was down there helping uh, service and cook for us, and Jan was there, and they were all on, on staff in, in our admin team. These guys have been serving faithfully in our church for years and years and years. We celebrated them 50 years uh, wedding anniversary just, uh, just last year. And, and John was telling me uh, over lunch one day that when he was a, a young bloke, and Jan uh, moved back to England for six months to, to v- finish some study. It was the first time they'd been a, a, apart from each other uh, for a long time when they were dating. And, and so he decided then and there that he never wanted to be apart again. Uh, he wanted to ask for her hand in marriage. And so John went and sat down at his desk and he took out his feather and he, he, dipped, it. <laughs> he dipped it into an inkwell and then he unrolled a piece of papyrus and, and he wrote, Dearest Janice, I love you and I don't want to be apart from you again. I think you're a hottie. Will you marry me? Love, Johnny Boy. <laughs> and then he took that piece of papyrus and he folded it up and he put it in this thing called an envelope and then he went outside and he got on his penny farthing and he wrote... <laughs> He, he rode down to the, to the local post office and, and he, he went in and he spoke to the postmaster and he bought this little thing called a stamp and, and it had a picture of the King of England on it. That's a joke for all the young people. And, uh, and he, he stuck it. He, he stuck it on, on that envelope and gave it to the postmaster. The postmaster went out the back and he got in his horse and cart and he rode down to the port of Brisbane and he gave it to the shipmaster and the shipmaster set sail and, and that, that ship sailed to England to deliver that, that message and that request to Jan in downtown London. Six weeks later, six weeks later, the postmaster in London got that letter and then he rode his donkey down the streets of London and, and he took it to the place where Jan was staying and, and Jan, six weeks later, she opened the envelope and she read this letter from, uh, from her, the love of her life, Johnny Boy, and, uh, and she read, will you marry me? She thought, isn't that nice? Someone wants to marry me, even if it's John. And... Uh, and so she sat down at her desk and she took out a feather. She dipped it in inkwell. She got a bit of papyrus and she wrote, Dear Johnny boy, 
Thank you for your kind offer of marriage. It's a big decision. I'll need to think about it. I'll get back to you soon. Love, Janice. And then she put, you know, the letter in an envelope on a sailing boat and it sailed back to Australia. Three months later, poor old John is checking his letterbox every day for an answer to his simple question. Finally, three months later, I mean, this took patience. You know, he was getting impatient after three months. I was getting impatient just listening to the story. And, and three months later, he finally finds this envelope and it smells of Janice's perfume. And so he, he opens the letter and it says, Dear Johnny Boy, thank you for your kind offer of marriage. Big decision. I'll get back to you soon. Soon? The poor bloke's been waiting for three months. We wouldn't dream of doing that today. We wouldn't dream of waiting that long for an answer. From from the other side of the world, we just pull out our smartphone and we instantly Skype someone on the other side of the world. We ask a question and we get an instant answer. Now, I'm not as old as John and Jan, obviously. But when I was a kid, right, in my lifetime, the only people who could do that who could look at a phone, get an instant answer from around the world, were George and Jane Jetson. They were the only people. It, it was a far-fetched fantasy that that could actually happen 40 years ago. I mean, who, who remembers the name of the robot? Rosie. Do you remember the name of the dog? You get a free coffee. Astro. Free coffee down the front of the coffee shop. Astro the dog, you watch too much TV in your youth. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't dream of waiting that long for an answer today. I mean, these days, you know, when, when John's doing a tough crossword and he wants a cup of tea, he doesn't even leave the lounge. He just gets out his phone, sends a text, Dear Janice, I still think you're a hottie. How about a cup of tea for an old bloke? <laughs> and then Jan comes with a cup of tea. We want what we ask for. Now, by the way, only certain elements of that story are true. John and Jan have been married for 50 years. 51. That's it. Um, Yeah, I wonder if we've taken this instantaneous fast food culture into our spirituality in the West. We approach prayer like this. We, we want God to answer prayer by Skype speed, not snail mail speed. And so when we don't get what we ask for now, we give up. Maybe prayer doesn't work. Maybe God's not that powerful after all. Maybe this is not his will to see people saved, to see justice come about. We start to give up on prayer, which is the very reason that Jesus is speaking this parable, that they would always pray and not give up. You know, I shared a few weeks ago that my, my grandmother at 99 passed away just a couple of months ago. You know, she was one of the few people that still sent me, up until a couple of months ago, handwritten letters. She never Skyped anyone in her life. She, she'd wait for the postie to bring 
a letter. I, a couple of times a year, I'd get a letter from her with little clippings, printed clippings in there saying, I thought this might be helpful for your sermon. They never were. But uh, this will be the first year. I turned 47 in a couple of weeks. This will be the first year in my 47 years that I won't receive a handwritten card with a stamp on it from my grandmother in Sydney with a handwritten check inside it, which was always a little more helpful than the sermon clippings. But this will be the first year. You see, my grandmother was a kind of snail mail speed kind of person. You know, she's prayed for me every day of my life until she passed away. I worked out the other day how many prayers that was. Have a guess. 17,063 prayers. She prayed for me every day. Not just for me, but for all of our family. And when we stood together at her funeral just a couple of months ago, every single person Three generations, the fourth generation didn't quite make it. I became a granddad just a couple of weeks ago, if you haven't been on social media and the whole world's heard about it. But uh, a little Aurelia didn't quite make it, but three generations, all in that room, all following Jesus, seven of us, the pastors in the local church. We had to fight over who was going to do her funeral. I'm silly enough to believe that God has listened to those 17,063 prayers. God has poured out a blessing over our family because of the way that my grandmother prayed and she would not give up. It didn't matter how far we walked away at different times in our lives. It didn't matter how many stupid things we did. She would not give up. And God has poured out a blessing over our family. I I worked out if I'm going to pray for my granddaughter, little Aurelia. uh, She's got massive feet, little Aurelia. She's, I reckon she's going to be a swimmer for Australia. I'm just looking forward to the day where she, she walks out in all her Australian gear and the, the announcer says, in lane five is Aurelia from Australia. <laughs> but more important, I, I don't really care if she's a swimmer or not. be good if she could swim, I suppose. But uh, what I really care about is that she comes to know the Father's unfailing love and puts her faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Saviour. So if I'm going to pray for her in the same way that my grandmother prayed for me, i got 17,046 prayers to go. That's a lot of prayers. But Jesus says, always pray and don't give up. You see, this is the thing about prayer. Sometimes I think we, we think prayer is about kind of twisting God's arm behind his back. As if, you know, God doesn't really want to do it, but if I just pray long enough and pray hard enough, then maybe I'll twist his arm and, and he'll give it to me anyway. That is not what prayer is all about. Prayer is not about changing the mind of God. There's a couple of exceptional circumstances in the Old Testament where it seems like as people prayed, God's mind changed, but they're exceptional. It's not what prayer is all about. Prayer is actually we come before God and we wait on the eternal God. And we wait. The problem is waiting isn't popular anymore. We want what we want now. And as we continue to persevere in prayer and we listen to his voice, 
God changes our mind and he changes our heart and he shows us how to pray. You see, we're called to pray and not give up because God sees what we do not see. God knows what we do not know. And God moves power from heaven to earth when we pray. I've been reminded of this, you know, throughout my life. Some of you heard the story. I've told this story before. It was when I was an RE teacher in Sydney nearly 20 years ago now. And there was this, this young girl sitting in the, the, the front row named Shelley. And Shelley looked like Lauren. She was sweet and kind. The rest of the class was just chucking stuff around the room. You know, it was, just, it was a nightmare. If you ever bump into a high school RE teacher, pray for them. They need your prayers. Tough gig. And Shelley would just sit down the front every Friday morning for four years. And she'd nod her head. She'd answer questions. She didn't even do her homework. And I just, she was nice. And I could see God's hand was on her life, and so I began to pray for her for four years every Friday. And I'd say, Shelley, you know, what do you think about all this Jesus stuff? She says, oh, it's nice, but I don't think it's for me. I remember the last, I'd argue with God. I know, God is easy for you. She's nice. I remember the last Friday I was about to teach her, and uh, I was praying at my desk and I just felt God say I want you to claim that whole family for me by faith I remember thinking you've got to be kidding me because I taught her two brothers as well but I'd given up praying for them I didn't think it could happen Brendan particularly was two years older than her and he had dreadlocks and he's always you know smoking cones down the back of school and no, no interest in anything I was talking about you know, as I prayed for that family that day, that very day, I believe God had been storing up some prayers for that family. But that very day, Brendan came to me in the teacher's car park. He wasn't supposed to be there, but that was not unusual for Brendan. And he was eating a pie. I remember looking at the pie thinking, oh, I'd like one of those. But then he said, he said, I'm about to finish school. It's his last day of school in year 12. He said, my life's a mess. I'm not sure what to do about it, but can I come on that camp that my mate Brom's going on that you're running. I said, of course you can. Two weeks later, as I shared the gospel about how Jesus died for all of our sins, doesn't matter what we've done in the past, he's nailed them to the cross. And he rose from the dead on the third day and he offers every one of us eternal life. And the way to receive that eternal life is by surrendering everything, all your desires to him and putting your faith in him as Lord and Saviour. I said, if you want to do that tonight, I want you to walk down the front while everyone's eyes are open in front of everyone at this school. I remember Brendan, dreadlocks, probably still stoned, walked down the front, put, put his faith in Christ. Two weeks later, he led Shelley, his sister, to come to know Christ. I got, had the joy of seeing the whole family come to know Jesus. I've gone back to Sydney to marry him and see their kids grow up. I'm telling you, God sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. He's always got a bigger plan and a better plan than what we can understand or imagine. That's why he says, pray and don't give up. Wait on him. Listen to him. I I remember eight years ago now, just doing it tough, wanting to give up on ministry. I I just probably come to the end of my tether. And I was at a time, we, we, before we'd ever planted a campus, and I was sitting in a, 
in a uh, conference and, and God knew that I was a bit broken, a bit beat up and kind of contemplating giving up. And I heard this message about this, uh, you know, about how God uses broken people. We just got to be available to him. And they gave everyone a broken piece of, uh, of pottery. And we just had to write our prayer on it, what God was saying to us. And I remember just in a place of brokenness in, in 2011, just saying, God, there's a prayer in my heart. I'm willing to plant churches in Australia and beyond for the next 20 years. God, would you help me to hear your voice and obey you to see you do it? I tell you, I've had the joy of seeing God do more than what I ever thought was possible already. You know, the last couple of weeks I've been at our Redlands campus and there's a bunch of people getting baptised down there today in the YMCA pool. I got to go to our first gateway care meeting as people gathered around, worked out how we're going to help the needy and the poor in the Redlands community. The week before I was in the city. Again, both places, just packed house. We're going to have to go to multiple services in those campuses in the next 12 months just to, so more people can come through the doors and hear the life-changing message of Jesus. I'm telling you, people, our God sees what we don't see. Our God knows what we don't know. And God has got a plan that's always bigger than what we can ask, dream, or imagine. You know, Ephesians 3 verse 20, it says, Our God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. He's not just able to do what we ask. He's not just able to do more than what we ask. He's actually able to do immeasurably more than what we've ever asked, dreamed, or imagined. Do you believe that this morning? The next part of the verse, we often forget. It says, according to his power at work within us. It means God has put power within you. God has put a prayer within you. He's put power within you that gets measured out as we pray. As we pray, you know, power is measured out. What, what he's able to do, immeasurably more than all we've asked, actually comes out as we step out by faith, as we pray by faith that he's put within us. I wonder if in this room there's some prayers for families, maybe for this church family, maybe for our community, maybe for this nation. That God's put in there. And he's expecting you to measure it out in prayer. And you've given up. Because you can't see it happening in your time frame. You know, the disciples go to Jesus earlier, right at the beginning of his ministry, and says, you know, teach us to pray. Jesus, when you pray, people get healed. You know, demons come out, miracles happen. We want to pray like that. So Jesus prays this really simple prayer. He says, Father in heaven, holy is your name. You're so great. May your kingdom come. May your power and authority come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray like that. But when you pray, you're moving power from heaven to earth. A little bit later in his ministry, Jesus knows the disciples are going to pray and not seeing things happen quite as quickly as they'd like to. So he tells them this parable. He says, remember how I taught you to pray? Keep praying like that and don't give up. And then later on, the worst time in church history, we think there's some tough things going on around the world for the church today. The worst time in church history, the first century under Emperor Nero, 
Just a terrible time for Christians. People giving up on their faith, giving up on praying, not seeing God work you know, instantly the way that they wanted to. And so Jesus gives his best mate, John, a little picture into heaven to encourage the church at the time. And we see, it's recorded in Revelation chapter 8, John gets a peek into heaven and he sees this big golden bowl. And it's getting filled up with all the prayers of the saints. Not one of them is dropping out. They're all getting filled. And then there's a time and John gets to see it and he gets to encourage the church to keep praying and not give up because there'll be a time where God tips out that bowl and there's, there's thunder and claps of lightning and there's incredible power hits the earth from heaven because of the prayers of the saints that have been collected there. So keep praying and don't give up. There's two key things as we finish this morning that, that I see when, when, when they're important for us to understand when it comes to the power of prayer. Firstly is a complete dependence on God. The woman in this story, completely dependent on the judge, the leader of her community. As a widow, she had no other power. That's why Jesus points to this situation. You know she's got no other power. She's dependent on this judge. That's why she keeps going to him because she's got nowhere else to go. I wonder in our modern world and modern culture whether we've just lost our dependence on God. There's so much wealth, which is great. Give thanks for that. So much wonders of modern science and technology, medicine, awesome. We should give thanks for that. But I wonder if we've actually lost our dependence on God. People often say, why is God at work in such powerful ways on the, in the third world, in, out in the mission field? We don't see it the same way here, I'm telling you. There's probably a bunch of reasons for that, but a big reason is we've lost our dependence on God. One of the most life-changing moments in my life just happened on the other side of that wall about eight years ago, the same time where I was feeling like giving up. I was just spent in ministry. I remember in a prayer meeting in that function room, and just found myself just laying on the floor before God, just crying out to God, just repenting of how much I'd started to lead out of my own wisdom and out of my own strength, and I was just tired and I couldn't do it anymore. And he was calling me to a new place of intimacy and dependence on him and waiting on him and listening to his voice. It's transformed my life. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't still be here today if he hadn't snuck up on me like that and changed my heart. Are you dependent on God? You're waiting on him, you're patiently waiting on him and listening to his voice because he wants to speak to you. And lastly, you're desperate for God. See, in the scriptures and and wherever we see a, a mighty move of God throughout history, we see a dependence of God and a desperation for God. And if the indicator of our dependence on God is our commitment to prayer, then the indicator of our desperation for God is a commitment to fasting. Say, God, I'm desperate for you. I want you more than anything. It's going to sound like I want to give up on ministry all the time. It's not true. I've had a couple of moments in my life. If you go back 20-something years, only two years into ministry in Sydney, I was wanting to give up. I was just serving my heart out. I couldn't see God doing anything. 
And I just remember God just tapping me on the shoulder and said, you know what, you've never once fasted. Never gone without food to listen to me. I remember that first time I fasted. I remember standing on the balcony looking over this lake at this holiday house I was was staying in for a few days. And night one, I remember seeing this little possum run across the handrail. He was in grave danger. I was starving. I wanted to barbecue him then and there. And I remember just crying out to God, God, I want a steak. God, I want some Tim Tams. God, I just want an old Vegemite sandwich. Just give me something. But God, I want you more. God, I want you more. I tell you, there was a breakthrough in my life in that season. I began to fast more regularly. I still hate fasting. I hate going without food. But but I love the impact it has on my life. I love the breakthrough I I see in in my life and in ministry. And it's not that God's sitting up there going, ah, Jason's a good boy. He's going hungry again. I'll give him what he wants. That's not how fasting works. I'm telling you, like prayer, when we fast and we wait on God, God actually changes us. Back then, 20-something years ago, he had to change my heart and my mind. He had to deposit faith into my heart that wasn't there before. I began to walk by faith in a whole new way that I'd never understood before that moment. It was a spiritual breakthrough in my life that wouldn't have happened. I don't believe it would have happened unless I got desperate for God and I chose to fast and put everything else aside. I said, God, would you break through in my life? I wonder this morning, how desperate are you to see that prayer answered? See that prayer answered for your family, for our community, for our church, for this nation. How desperate are you? I I believe we're going to come into a, a season of fasting in our church. This is the third time I've talked about it this year. I'm going to keep talking about it over the next little while, and I'll be particularly the beginning of next year. There's a season of fasting coming for us as a church. I'm just kind of getting us ready for it. So this is, when we get there, it's not the first time you've heard it. But some of you today, it's, it's just time to start fasting. You know that prayer. You're desperate for it. It's time to start believing for that breakthrough. I believe a day's coming when as a church we're going to fast and believe for a breakthrough in this state and in this nation. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet right now? What's the prayer? What's the prayer that God's put on your heart and he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep waiting. Keep persevering. Keep long-suffering in prayer until you see it happen. So what I want to encourage you to do today, pray until. Pray until you see it happen. If it doesn't happen in five minutes, if it doesn't happen in five months, if it doesn't happen in five years, if it doesn't happen in five decades, 
pray until you see it happen. I don't think Audrey's here this morning, but one of the great joys in my life was just a couple of years ago, Audrey had prayed for her husband, Brian, for about five decades. Didn't see anything happening. And near the end of his life, I had the joy of sitting with him as he gave his life to Jesus and the Lord's prayer just flowed out of his heart and out of his mouth. 50 years of praying, she did not give up. And Brian missed out on walking with Jesus on earth for 50 years. But one day they're going to be in eternity together forever. Pray and don't give up. Come on, we're going to pray together as a church this morning. But why don't we just begin? Come on, just begin to engage your heart. Just begin to give thanks. It says we we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Just begin to declare the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And I want you to do it out loud. If you feel comfortable, raise your hands. Come on, just begin. Begin to declare the goodness of God. Begin to give thanks for His grace, for His power. Begin to declare. Declare the faithfulness of God. Come on, speak it out this morning. Let it come out of your heart and out of your mouth. Declare the faithfulness of God in this place. a prayer in your heart for your family. Pray it. Come on, let it come out. Whatever that prayer in your heart for your family is, let it come out in your own words. Just pray a blessing over your family. Pray the prayer that God has measured into your heart, the faith He's put in your heart for your family. Come on, speak it over them this morning. Let God hear it this morning. Let's lift it up. some more voices in this room. I want to hear you just crying out in desperation to God. Come on, why don't we just pray for the state of Queensland? Why don't this morning we begin to pray for physical rain and spiritual rain? We pray that dry ground would, uh, would become filled with life again and that dry hearts would receive life, that there would be repentance that comes across our state. Come on, let's pray for the people of Queensland this morning. Come on, just cry out to God for a mighty move of God. Come on, just speak it out this morning. God, you love this state. You love every person in this state. God, you love the farmers. You love the people living in cities. God, this morning, This morning, would you send rain? God, would you send physical rain from heaven? The dry ground, God, would be filled with life again. God, would you send rain? God, we pray for spiritual rain. God, that you'd be bringing people to repentance, to receive new life in you, God. That you would soften hard hearts. Come on, let's one voice together begin to pray for our nation. The Scriptures tell us to pray for our leaders. Come on, let's pray. Pray for leaders in government. Pray for leaders in business, leaders in the church. 
Come on, let's pray for an awakening, a spiritual awakening. I'm believing to see revival in our nation, in our generation. Come on, let's begin to cry out to God together. Come on, let's just start. Pray a blessing over our leaders. Come on, bless them. Ask God to pour our blessing on them. Give them wisdom and insight, strength and courage to do what is right and what is just. God, I thank you that you appoint leaders. You put them in positions for seasons. And God, I thank you for the leaders you've given us in this season. God, would you bless them? May they be aware of your presence with them. God, where their hearts need to change, their minds need to change, would you bring that change by the power of your Holy Spirit? That they would make wise decisions, just decisions. They would be people who genuinely feared you and cared for your people. God, would you bless them today? Come on, let's just pray for a spiritual awakening in our land. Let's pray for revival to come to this nation of Australia. Come on, cry out together. Come on, just lift up your voices. Say, God, Holy Spirit, come. Come on, speak it out in your own words. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Pour out your power on this nation. Draw people to yourself. Soften hard hearts. God, would you bring revival in our nation, in our generation. I pray in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing. Let's sing this great old song. It's an old hymn. It's as true today as it was a couple hundred years ago when it was written. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Come on, lift your voices. Lift your hearts. Lift your hands. If you're one of the people that says we should sing more hymns in church, I want to hear your voice on this stage. Come on. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.